just a quick disclaimer before we get into the episode. Um, this is not about the real men of Easy Company. This is about the show Band of Brothers. We are not disparaging the legacy and the campaigns of the actual men who fought in World War II. We are simply some friends who want to talk about Band of Brothers because it's our favorite show. And with that being said, enjoy the episode. Hey guys, before we get started, yes, this is uh, the second part of episode four, Replacements. Um, something that we just had so much fun with, and the people that I recorded with are a blast. So, of course, it went over, and um, I'm going to stop talking, though, and let you guys get into part two of Replacements. Enjoy! <laughs> okay, so we get to see the orange flag, which is yes. a big... But wait, more importantly, we are all so engaged that we're going to take a momentary laps of uh where we're going with this to appreciate that one scene when Hoobler's running back and all of a sudden you just get a nice close-up of Doc Rowe's face like I know oh, just like sitting in the grass there, just sitting there with his uh-huh. like his little face that has not seen the horrors of Bastogne yet and he's yeah. just like oh beer do I I don't get one Oh, mm. oh, 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 cool. You're, you're drinking it with the boys. I got it. Yeah, it's fine. Doc Rowe is just sitting there for, waiting for someone to die or, like, get mortally wounded so that he has something I to I wonder do. what he thinks about. Like, when he's, like, not, like, working on someone, like, what's going through his head? I would assume that he's probably thinking something along the lines of, you do not want to be hung over in battle. Or that. Yeah. That. What's that? <laughs> But like, but like, but like, you know, not even then. Like, what's he? When's he just like? When he's just vibing out? What do you think a Doc Bro as portrayed by Shane Taylor thinks about? Oh, he's taking stock of everything in his pockets at all times. Yeah, <laughs> like he he. It's it's a running inventory of like top left pocket. I got my scissors. Top right pocket. There's two bandages and one s- syringe of morphine. Uh, in my left, I'm kidding. That's terrible. I'm not. No, gonna... no, Laura. I want to keep <laughs> hear you. Like, see how long you can keep your inventory. Of inventory. <laughs> He's like, I have Laura. I have bullshit. Two and a half out, s- of shit that a medic would wear in battle. I have two and a half sticks of gum. <laughs> <laughs> I have two. Yeah. That. Um. But yeah, we get to see the orange flag. Which is big, because we're in Holland. And as mentioned before on that very, very weird rant I went on, um, the Dutch resistance was very widespread. So they finally felt um, comfortable enough to fly the orange flag? I think, I'm not sure, but I think there might actually have been some capital punishment shit going on from the Nazis on hailing the orange flag because it was such a symbol for assistance against them. So it's really like the same reason that there, there are all these people standing around waving Dutch flags later on. It's kind of like, we are now liberated. I feel like I should have, like we should have gotten a Dutch person on this podcast to talk about this. Because I, I feel have like never I'm met a ass. Dutch person in my life. If there's a Dutch person that happens to listen to this, um, reach out, man. I want to talk to you about... Uh, maybe your family's experience with the Dutch resistance. 
That would have been a really fun addition to this podcast. I met a Dutch person once who taught me how to say beautiful eyes and I want to have sex in the kitchen. That's what I know. That's all I know in Dutch. Did you, did they ask you, did they say those things to you? Uh, (laughs) No, she just taught me how to say them. I think she was like 15 and I was like 12 and she was like, this is going to be fun. I really can't remember our ages. I'm sorry, Rosa, if you're listening to this. I'm sorry for a number of reasons. But mostly the fact <laughs> that I can't remember how old either of us were when we met. Um, but anyway, prechtige ochen is apparently how you say beautiful eyes in Dutch. I'm glad that that's the one that you went with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But also, uh, like, you still remember that? That's... I don't remember anything from being 12. I remember it because she wrote it on a piece of paper and I pinned it to my wall. Ah. I remember like, from being 12, Twilight. Twilight. That was a good time. But let's <laughs> talk about the Twilight of Nazi occupation in Holland. Yeah, that... Great. That was a good segue. Um, I want credit for that. Yeah, so um, this this sort of the transitional scene like all these like orange flags flying and you just see them being sort of bombarded as they as they march through the city. Mm-hmm. Because it's so just smooches. Huh? So many smooches. I know. There's yes. so much kissing. I would I would give them all a smooch. If I had been occupied for five years and some American hunks came through my city liberating the shit out of me and my friends, I'd give up a smooch too. But we do get one of my favorite moments in the entire show, which is when Talbot is kissing this woman um, who later gets her shit wrecked. And (laughs) sitting in front of him is the real... Babe Hefron. I know. Edward Hefron in the flesh, just sitting there waving a little Dutch flag as an actor portrays one of his friends getting maked the fuck out with next to him. Okay, okay. I wanna. So we talk about um, Ian's decision for the little dramatic cut of the thing. I'm speaking directly to Matthew Leach. Did you say, hey, I want to make out with this girl, but they're like, but you're sitting at Babe's table, but you're like, yeah, I want to make out with this girl. <laughs> Is that how that happened? Or were you directed? Yeah, or did Tom Hanks tell Edward Heffron, okay, sit down at this table. Okay, what's going to happen? Well, <laughs> we have yeah, a guy <laughs> <laughs> who's going to sit down in front of you. He's playing Talbot. You remember Talbert? Yeah, he was a good guy. Um <laughs> And then directing that moment, and later it's going to turn out that she slept with a German. So she's going to get slut-shamed in front of the entire city. Okay, but anyway, here's a flag. So just wave that out. Just wave the flag. Don't pay no attention to what they're doing here. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, but... (laughs) And also because 10 seconds before this, we kind of get to see, like, this is basically a shot by shot of all of these random boys basically having a couple of seconds to party before they have to go back to the war. 
And what do we see David Kenyon Webster do but sit at a table and have some wine and cheese? He gets pulled away and stuffs a bit of, I think it's Brie, into his mouth. I and thought like, that was Hashi. Yeah, no, it's Webster. <laughs> Which is so is funny. I thought it was Hashi. Because he's just I sitting really there, like, was chowing down. I God mean, I'm a, I'll, let you have it. I'll let you have the headcanon of Webster, but it's definitely Hashi that gets ripped out from the table with cheese in his mouth. We do sort of meet up. We don't sort of. We do meet up with the officers, and they are all just standing around paranoid about mm-hmm. snipers. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's really funny, like, when the girls come up to kiss them, and, like, Nix is, like, rebuking them. He's like, get away from me, get away from me, and... Dick just, like, lets it happen. Dick gives, in this moment, Dick Winters gives the most polite kiss I have ever seen <laughs> yes. in my life. I am, it is I, so polite. Again, Damien Lewis, a great actor. He's just the real, like, okay, you want to kiss me? Okay, okay, bye now. Like, there's very much, yes, okay, ma'am, this is, you just got liberated, I accept this, but I am also a soldier, so we must soldier on. But he, like, but the thing is, is, like, it wasn't, like, he just, like, let her, like, like, he actively kissed. It was just polite. (laughs) But it was still the most But, like, I would be kissed politely. Bye. I'm gonna trail that off. Um. (laughs) (laughs) The silence said a lot. (laughs) Yeah, so this, um is when we meet the leader of the Dutch Resistance, who, you know, Dutch Resistance, very good thing. Creepy. In this scene. This guy? This guy is, this guy gives me the heebie-jeebies. I'm sorry, probably a very nice man. Afraid of him. <laughs> Just something about him was off-putting. Find terrifying. Just his vibe. Just off-putting. And I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I agree. I don't, like, I really want to like him because I think the Dutch resistance was, like, so important and this scene was so important, even though there's no women in it other than women who are being portrayed as flighty and horse. Well, they, they, Um, they meet him, they meet him because they are, like, they're seeing these women be uh, stripped of their rights to be female, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And because and but and just his his uh, sort of callousness towards it. He's like, they slept with the Germans. This is what they get. Yeah. It's a strange juxtaposition because they didn't have to put those two scenes at the same time. Like I, mm-hmm. it's weird that that they did. Um, you mean the scenes of uh, women kissing soldiers and then... Oh, no, the scene mm-hmm. of the women being shamed for what they did. Mm-hmm. And Winners and Nixon having a conversation with the Dutch resistance about their plans militarily mm-hmm. and where the bridges are and where the Germans are and get, like getting intelligence and reports from the Dutch resistance, like, at the same time that these women are being shamed, I think 
it, is it rubs me the, the wrong way. Yeah, it really rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. Because there was because it's, genuinely no reason to have those two scenes at the same time. And especially since it's some of the only very little female representation we get in this show. And I, I understand that it happened, but you also have to, I guess maybe, and maybe this is speak coming from a woman, but sort of look at it in an empathetic light and what were the circumstances that led them to have to sleep with Germans? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the fact that one of them was also like the one that was making out with Talbert, which basically yeah. is like all of these Dutch women are just loose and will yeah. sleep with anyone. Like, mm-hmm. look, she was making out with Talbert, and now she's being... The first time I saw it, I thought they were punishing her for having made out with Talbert. Like, I je- like my 15-year-old brain, like, that was mm-hmm. what I saw, which obviously is not what was happening, but it's just, yeah, it's like a weird... That whole five-minute sequence has always kind of thrown me off. And it goes and on for so long. Yeah. This and is one of those so many women in the Dutch resistance. You couldn't have put one female soldier or like you know something where they were more than playthings. It yeah, I ugh. Well, it also and it also sort of erases the um the rate of sexual assault and coercion mm-hmm. that a lot of these women faced and intimidation, and it's punishing them for actions that, you know, it's never the victim's fault, and I get that this is 1944, but I still think that that's important lens to have. Mm-hmm. This it's has never been a, the victim's fault. Yeah, it's kind of a running theme in general in World War II and um, Holocaust studies. I'm lumping those two together because they're kind of entwined in the rant I'm about to go on where the female perspective on these kinds of things have kind of been ignored for a very, very long time. Like the concept of these girls, like women who slept with Germans were called German girls, at least in my language, Tyskflickor. Um, and there is such like, like it's a concept that I grew up with as a person who comes from Sweden, we weren't even occupied by the Germans. But the concept of like the women who sleep with the enemy in order to get kind of benefits or to help themselves get out of a bad situation or because it was the only source of like employment, I guess, that they could find because it essentially became a job. Um, There's not even a Wikipedia article for this stuff, like for these women and what they went through. I know because I Google frantically after watching this episode because I wanted to get like the base level of like, okay, what sources can I find via Wikipedia on these people? Um, But especially because in Nazi Germany, sexual slavery was a very, very broad thing. Like it's assumed that the the numbers are kind of muddled because again, there didn't, there wasn't really, haven't really been a lot of research like comparatively done on this subject, but it's assumed that about 35,000 women were forced into sexual slavery under the Nazi regime. Um, And there were a lot of different kinds of sexual slavery from like the brothels in the concentration camps for 
inmates to brothels for German soldiers to the whole Lebensborn program, which was fucked up. Um, but it's kind of a thing that's become so... Like, it was so big that the cultural significance of these things cannot be ignored. Like, um, you know ABBA, the band, mm-hmm. the pop group? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the women, the brown-haired one, Anne Frid, was born out of Nazi sexual slavery. Her wow. mother was a Lebensborn woman. Like, these things have implications into today's society that we just kind of can't can't keep ignoring and the way that i always watch this scene in band of brothers is i'm very glad that they included it because it is a part of the war that we like close our eyes to and like create a blind spot out of way too often and the fact that it is this very male story told by men from a male perspective but they still kind of include this scene with this woman with these women as something that is very shocking and very jarring and very off-putting. I, I like that, but I also feel like there is so much more that they could have done with that scene to really go into how horrible it really, really was. And to kind of discuss like, but okay, but why did these women sleep with the Germans? Were, were they just like traitors? To the country or because that's obviously how the resistance sees them at that point yeah or was there like a need for something like were these women trying to get out of a poverty struck and struck situation or were they assaulted and didn't have a chance to say no because imagine you're a young woman and a nazi officer hits on you you're in occupied holland what are you gonna do are you gonna tell him no because he has the right to shoot you yeah um but i do like the show because i i've never felt like the show really as it stands take us takes a stand on these women like i feel like this is very clinical in a very weird way it's just like yes this happened there were these women they were stripped and their hair were cut and then they were tossed out into the countryside to fend for themselves and that's a thing that happens and now we're gonna get back to like our regular scheduled war movie thing yeah it's very very odd it's a very odd scene to include in this kind of way yeah it 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 just it's always been something that you know i did watch this for the first time as an adult and as you know a woman who has seen you know instances of sexual violence it mm-hmm. it sort of and i i don't think there is a woman alive who can't give you instances of when she is either uh experienced it first or second hand mm-hmm. and to see it portrayed in this light through how a man views it yeah through the male gaze it it the scene uh it is very clinical but it still pits my stomach because it shows this indifference to it yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it is very much just a thing that happens and you can kind of tell that the the men present at the scene like i think specifically it's Harry Welsh and Buck Compton and Dick Winters 
if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah. Like specifically these three men, they look on and you can see that they don't like what's going on, but they do nothing to stop it. Mm-hmm. Like they don't even ask a second question about it. They're just like, what did they do? They slept with the Germans. Okay. And that's it. That's all that is said on that subject. Yeah. Um, and even like later, yeah, like they give this woman some military rations. This one woman, they, um, when they're going to Nguyen, they pass this lady who's standing by this by the side of this road, holding a baby with her hair shaved and no clothes on. And they're kind of like, here, have a K bar, okay. Bye. That's real fucked up. What's going on in your life? Good yeah. luck with that, I guess. And they kind of leave. Like there is this very intense male indifference about the whole thing. It, but it, it's like, and you can't even, because obviously that's the attitude towards women back then. But you can't even say that it's all that different now. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's what's so icky about it to me yeah like watching this scene again when i first watched band of brothers like i watched it when it when it first came out so i would have been like five um and i remember watching that scene and kind of like re-watching it throughout my childhood and and my adolescence because i rewatched the show and this was kind of one of those scenes that taught me like okay this is how the world is gonna treat women every now and then like i watched that Mm -hmm. and i was like okay I need to realize that this is a thing that happens. Like both like the icky kind of sexual slavery part of the German girls, but also um, just like there are these people who are going to watch this happen and they're going to do it with indifference. Like even if they think it's wrong, they're still going to be indifferent to it. Um, The world is a very different place today, I think. In, in many, many ways, from how it was both in 1944, but also in 2001. Yeah. Because yeah, that kind of scene would never be, like, that sequence of scenes would never be made today without there being some kind of commentary done on it. Yeah, I think the... Uh... It is a very important scene, but it also you know, just as, like, a female, like I said, a female fan of the show, it's just, it's, it's, it hits, and it's hard to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that that's kind of, like, all you can say on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah. Should we move on to Noinen? Yeah, try to, try to, kind of bring it back up. Yeah. Um, okay, so, um, they go to Neunen. We get the um, amazing comment from David Webster that Vincent van Gogh was, in fact, born here. But isn't Wait. it pronounced Noonan? Neunen? I don't know. I'm European. I get to pronounce this shit weird. Um, I blame my accent. Neunen. Okay, but like, what was his excuse? <laughs> his excuse is that he went to Harvard, Sarah. Okay. Have you gone to Harvard? I've been on the Harvard campus. I worked there. Oh shit! There goes my argument. Mm. Um, but also, <laughs> has anyone ever like 
Googled the historical accuracy of uh, Vincent van Gogh being born in Noonan, Noonan, or has no one really cared because it's David Webster. All right, one minute, one minute. Where okay, was Vincent let's, van let's Gogh Google. born? Vincent van Gogh. He was born in Zundert. Okay, so... I'm just going to go onto to Vincent van Gogh. When um, you go onto his Wikipedia page and you search for Noonan, Noonan, nothing comes up. Hmm. God damn it, so, even when Even when you come with fun facts, you're wrong. You had, you were so ready to defend him. Fact, right? uh, Maria uh, was so ready to defend him and he was that. debunked. Hang on, I might actually have spelled Noinen wrong. Um, but I like how Cobb, again, is like, yeah, who gives a shit? Yes. But then Hoover there is, is the like, army. Oh, great things there at Harvard, which is like such a better response. Okay, yeah. Vincent van Gogh apparently lived in Neunen. Got it. But I don't Got think it. he was born there. Yeah. Right. Well, we'll give him half so. credit. Quarter credit. Also, it was 1944. How much did we know about Vincent van Gogh? Probably a lot. <laughs> Probably a lot. I'm just trying to give been, Harvard some credit here. He had been long dead, so... Probably yeah, a lot. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we didn't have Google, but we did have libraries. We did. But, okay, we have a moment that I find interesting here, um, which is Patton gets shot, which, again, cause of death, Patton. Um, you kind of, like, maybe don't walk in front of everyone else like an actual beacon of, hey, come and shoot me. Um, mm-hmm. But then we have Bull running up to him, trying to get a medic out, and a medic comes out, and then the medic gets shot. Because it's not Doc Rowe. Yeah, which is true. But I also f- always found that interesting, because up until now, we have seen, and like even from now, we have seen like this kind of respect thing going on in Wool, where you respect the medic you don't shoot at medics. That's like one of the fundamental laws of war. Even like in episode two or episode three, I think it was episode two, where Malaki goes running into a field looking for a Luger and the Germans just stop shooting because they assume he's a medic. Yeah. And here we have a medic getting shot point blank. Well, it sort of shows you the changing nature and the sort of changing attitude, I think, Mm -hmm. to, like, um, how they probably feel about the Americans as a whole. Yeah. Like, I mean, but, like, again, even in the Pacific, you had medics who were targets. Yeah, well, that was... they were the targets. Yeah, that was that was like a thing in the uh, in the Pacific. Like, the Japanese, I think, specifically targeted medics because Mm -hmm. they knew how um vital they were essentially Mm -hmm. um and like how exposed they were in that kind of job and it's and in one sense we can kind of say like later on in bastone where you have the dual shellings essentially that's also a medic targeting practice Mm -hmm. because you shoot everybody once and then you wait for all the um the medics to be out 
you wait for the medics to go and help them, and then you shoot them again. That way you get rid of all the medics. Because if you get rid of the medics, you get rid of everyone. Yeah. Um, I also, um, in this scene, we once again find new guys who are not super confident in their abilities, cowering in trenches on sides of roads. Yeah, yeah. Hashi's like, we're just gonna stay here, and Randleman's like, no, the fuck you're not. I yeah. also like that Hashi sort of gives an order, like, you, you do yeah, have like- that power. You can't tell people that you're staying put. You're not even private first class, sir. <laughs> you're private. <laughs> yeah. But I, and I love that I th- is it Garcia? Is it Garcia that's like, what do we do? And he's like, we fucking stay here, and we're gonna hide. Yeah. Um, and that like, like Winters has now been replaced by Bull, Bull Randleman, like as the yeah. person who comes running over and is like, get your ass out of the trench. Like, look at yeah. me. I am standing here on the road. Get your ass out of the trench. They're um, gonna shoot as, so. as still targets. Yeah, but this like this theme of the NCOs being mm-hmm. awesome, you know, that yeah. like yeah. it went from Dick Winters being their god to like Bull Rand- Sergeant Bull Randleman being mm-hmm. the person who will save them. Yeah, it is pretty much a shot by shot with the Blythe scene from episode three. Yeah, minus yeah. The, the whooping with the helmet that yeah does, which was yeah, Bull still has his helmet oh, no. at this point. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Um, um, but mm-hmm. they they do they sort of have to invade this town. Yeah, the only way out is forward. And okay, 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 okay. So, okay, we're ready. For Webster it. Webster is hailed as being able to speak German, right? Then yeah. how come when these old people are like yelling at them, he's like, I don't know what they're saying. No. I thought you spoke German, sir. First, first of all, I, I'm not even sure those people are speaking German. Like, I think they're speaking Dutch. Secondly, he said one word twice. Yeah. <laughs> I think what Webster is referring to, I see the skeptical way Sar is probably looking at her computer right now, but I think what Webster is getting at, because there is this old man who leans out of a window and he shouts, go away, go away. Or he, no, not even that, he just shouts, away, away. And Webster's like, I don't know what the fuck he means. If he means that the Germans are gone, or if he wants us to leave, I don't know. Um, but I've always liked that scene, because I've always liked the interpretation that um, EC's essentially walking into an ambush, and this old man is trying to warn him to go away. Which is, again, probably me interpreting way too much into the scene. But I always like that notion. I mean, like, he's probably, like, saying, get out of here. They're about to destroy the town. And it's gonna be your fault. Yeah. yeah. He probably just didn't want them to fuck his shit up. But, but uh... I also think that Webster's um, translation of it, like, the two things that he could have possibly said, one of them is probably true and one of them makes absolutely no sense like he's either telling us that is it like that the germans have left or that we should go away and i'm like 
of the two of those, what do you think a man with panic face is yelling at Americans standing in his backyard? I feel like it's not the Germans are gone. Yeah, because if that was the case, he probably would have just hung an orange flag out his window. Like the first lady did. Yeah. Because, yeah. So you have I've to use that like Harvard, Harvard brain power. Harvard Webster. brain. Use he doesn't brain. have one. He's you know, stupid. Is, he hasn't graduated yet. <laughs> oh, Listen, right. I you get your s- brain on graduation. I forgot about that little detail. Sorry, I'm not an American. I wasn't yes. accustomed. They put the tip in your neck and then they hand you your degree. <laughs> is that what happened to you? <laughs> Laura got her degree and she was like, thank you. I now have two brain cells. I uh, I have a degree. I don't have any brain cells, actually. <laughs> I don't have a neg- have a degree, and I don't have any brain cells. So I'm officially on the bottom of this ladder of like weird flexing that we're doing. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm just, just saying, like, I don't. I'm not smart. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know things. Um, but okay, okay but so, also- so we're we're in the Nuen or Neunen or Nuchnenen or whatever. I I can't Newfoundland. Um We're in Newfoundland and we're in Newfoundland. And yeah, we have try that again? <laughs> I'm just kicking up beef with people all over the planet. I want there to I want someone to go to Antarctica and live there and hate me. So that I can officially be hated all over the planet. Enemy um, of the state. Yeah. Well, seven continents. But we have a moment um, in this scene, like this entire fight scene is probably one of my favorite ones because it's so coordinated. And they see so what they're doing. Like the quiet way they're moving through this town with all of that equipment and their heavy ass boots. <laughs> and they're moving through the town and you ha- see them like they're up in all of these little groups, but the groups seem to be so coordinated. And it's just... Uh... I love, I think it's Ramirez's little parkour like and he knocks down the, Over the fence. Yeah, there's they're like there's he just a throws himself way. onto it. There's a fence in the way. Ramirez, Garcia, we need you or whichever one. Um, we need you to take down the fence. And he's like, Yes, sir, I shall roll through it. Like also, who makes a fence out of like fence posts and like steel wiring? Like it's such a weird little thing. Well, when you don't really need to, like, have that much separation from your neighbors, because it's a teeny tiny little Dutch town. Uh... That's true. It was probably for, like, the chickens. Like, let's be honest, it was probably to keep someone's chickens from running away. Yeah, and now, good job there. You've now fucked up this coop. Yeah. Great. To be fair, is that really what they're worried about? I would be if those were my chickens. Yeah, but, like, your shit's about to get (laughs) fucked up anyway. I'm about to die, but I care about these chickens. Like, there's a tiger tank in your town. I'm genuinely not worried about the chickens. Like, the Germans have brought the tigers in. Yeah, the tiger tanks are here to fuck things up. But, yeah, this is a very, a really, really great coordinated scene. 
It is. And it's immediately shoved into a moment where we have what's probably the most dumbfounding decision made in the entire show, where Martin goes up to this guy in a tank and he says, look, there's another (laughs) tank over there and they're going to shoot you. So shoot them first because I see them. So maybe don't get killed. And he's like, no, sorry, can't do that. I'm not allowed to shoot unless I have a, like a clear target. And he's like, and then as they continue to roll down the street the british man Mm -hmm. sees it and his goes the wrong fucking direction like not looking at where that tank is coming around the corner like he is looking in the wrong direction when they come up why um why does he ask if heffron if babe has a can opener I think it's a joke about a tank. Like, I think it's a tank joke. Or yeah, possibly like, open the tank. like needing to cut through some wiring. I don't know. But yeah, like, oh, yeah, sorry. Like, what's, the, what's the MacGyver here? Uh, sorry, yeah, I skipped that. Someone goes, I can't remember who it was, who goes, Heffron, you're on me. That's Martin. Martin. That's Martin, okay. Why, out of all people, does he take Heffron? Is it because Heffron is, is his pal? Because if I remember correctly, Hefron has not seen battle yet. Yeah, but like you gotta get him. Uh, you gotta give him a somehow. chance to stand out. Yeah. yeah. Part of it is like um, where that person is standing. Um, yeah. Like if people are in better position for covering fire, then you want to take someone who's like not in a good position for covering fire, and like that's who you want to run with you. There's like a lot of reasons yeah. you would have taken Babe because. I question that every time as well. Yeah. I was like, I always thought like maybe it was like the first person that he saw and he's like, well, come on, kid. That's a a good possibility. Like how in like episode seven, I think it is like Ron Spears joins the company because he was the first man that Dick Winner saw when he looked out into the forest of Bastogne. Because I always thought about that because apparently Heffron had like this reputation. I think Laura told me like Heffron had this reputation of being a really, really, really good shot. That was not me. But that I was believe- not you. Okay. No, someone told me that and I was like, huh, maybe he had a reputation even back then. I don't know. But it seems so weird to me like out of all people he'd choose Heffron. But he does. And Heffron does not have a can opener, so the Brits get fucked up by the tiger. Good one, babe. Right. Well, but I also, so you guys were mentioning how well organized this, like, move into the town is, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like I've brought this up six times, and I apologize. But Hashi in the beginning is, like, the people in charge were here and there, but our NCOs were amazing, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This idea that, like, and when they mention that Market Garden is going to be run by the Brits, and everyone's like, right? So then they yeah. run up to the British tank, and they're like, hey, you can take this guy out right now. And the people who have more power than them are like, no, we can't. Like, no destruction of property unless it's absolutely necessary. And Johnny yeah. Martin, the CEO, is like, it's fucking necessary. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you, but it's like, they're going to see you in another 20 feet. And the guy's like, there's nothing I can do about it, right? So this... The Brits sort of... The Brits still had, like, a weird honor code. 
Yeah, yeah I, I, that's what I felt like when every time I watched that. I'm like, this is a very, very noble pursuit that you're going into. And I respect that because you see way too little of like respect for private property in war. But there's also like a moment where you kind of have to go, well, there is also a war going on. And yeah. essentially it becomes a game of, do I think that this American is lying to me about there being a tank over there? Which I guess the answer is no to, in which case I should probably shoot that tank over there. Um, because again, like if you're trying to assess the amount of damage that will be done to private property, if you just shoot that tank and you fuck up that one house, but you take out a tank, that will probably ruin a lot less things than going into like a full-on tank fight in the middle of this town square. We like oh, what six buildings? Yeah, like okay. that, essentially all of Noonan. That's why it doesn't say anything about Noonan in Vincent Van Gogh's Wikipedia page. Is because it was fucked up and there's nothing left because that one English guy refused to shoot the tank. Also. Since when does a British person care about destroying someone else's property? <laughs> mm. They don't well. destroy it, they just steal it and look at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is I, another white culture. We don't need this. This is very much I'm just gonna toss this in here. Now I'm now I'm beefing with the with the Brits. Let me just say that I'm adding onto the list of people I'm beefing with. That's very much British people as seen from an American standpoint, where it's like, oh, they're so cultured. Oh, they care so much yeah. about others. They care so much about personal property, whereas literally <laughs> every European is like, no. Nah. <laughs> That ain't how they do things. They're here ah, to no. L- listen, as the, as the granddaughter of a Scotsman who uh, did not like British people, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> also, like, this is Dutch property. Like, this isn't just anyone's property. Like, this is Dutch property. Yeah. So we Dutch gotta protect are- that. And I feel like in, like, the hierarchy of people's property to protect... The Dutch are pretty far up there. This is a very <laughs> weird hill you're choosing to die on, Laura. I don't understand I know, what's going I'm on. I'm totally kidding. Um, no, it is. It's like it's. But even, yeah, the the scene, the scene with the tank, like fine, don't hit the house, but at least can you have something pointing in that direction while you're rolling down the street? Yeah, like maybe yeah. get ready to hit the house <laughs> by the time you see the guy in the middle of the haystack. Yeah, yes. you you stupid dummy, Bill Murray-looking motherfucker. Yeah, <laughs> it really is, though, because you have to be. Because you have you to have be to run a tank. You have, yeah. to, you have to look like Bill Murray. Yes, and you have to be cool as a cucumber. And you have to stop in the middle of the day to have tea. It's incredibly important. And you also have to, like be exposed from your tank. It's like, we're gonna get a yeah. tank, but we're gonna have one guy outside it at all times. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, the Germans figured out how to be inside their tanks at all times, but the, Ameri- but the Americans and Brits were like, nah, we don't mm-hmm. need to do that. Yeah, but speaking of destruction of private property, we have a scene that's always touched me very dearly, and it is with our dear shark boy, Webster, where he sees 
a house being blown up and he knows for a fact that there were civilians in there because he had just gotten shouted at by this one man. And the house is blown up. That always touched me. I never have seen that. It's in the scene, it's right after we have the recruitment, like um, the replacement gang and Van Klinken gets shot and Uh. Doc Rock just the fuck is hurt like you left someone behind there and he runs to go get them and webster is with that gang and they kind of hide behind a bush and see a house get blown to smithereens oh when uh when when Cobb uh is left cowering in the corner (laughs) yeah and web kind of has that (gasps) kind of thing like he does that kind of breathing i mean i would just like do that if i saw panting did he yeah the open mouth panting the trademark webster open mouth take a shot every time webster has his mouth open you will get alcohol poisoning um but that's kind of like in a way i kind of feel like i always like that that shot coming after the shot of this british guy in a tank because again it kind of reminds you like there's a reason why the English have this rule in place, and it's because every house you go into, there can be a civilian. It's like way back, way back in episode three, where Luz opens a door and there's this family just yeah. randomly sitting there. Like every house that you see blown up, that could have been a family. You don't know, you never know. Because it is, I think there is, like, sort of, like, a mental block that happens to people where they're just like, oh, well, that was empty. That that yeah. was empty. There were no civilians. This this town's abandoned. But, like, it probably isn't. Yeah, like, you have to, and I get that there's, that there's like, a war mentality, psychology thing going on. Where it's like, you have to not think about it. You have to not think about there could be people in these houses. And I think it's the same thing that, like, we as viewers of this show, like, whenever I watch a house blow up, like, when I watch them take Karantan, when I watch them try to take Noinen, I assume that it's just empty. Like, the people just disappeared. Like, there's no one Mm -hmm. there. Because what's the alternative? To assume that every time a bullet goes into a house that someone could die? Like, yeah. Because that's what war is like. That's what happens when you fight in cities. Yeah, it's not like, you know, like, the days of old when people would, like, have set battle times in, like, the field outside the city. Yeah, and I mean, fighting is still like that to this day. Like, all the wars that are happening currently, like, the entire thing of, like, the Middle Eastern wars and, like, the wars in Libya and the whole Gaza conflict, like those are wars that are happening in cities and there are people just trying to live lives and like just have a normal existence and then in storms two different armies both trying to fuck your shit up um and so in that sense i always like the sentiment of this one british guy who's like i'm not gonna fuck up a house just because you tell me that there's a tank behind it even though he's completely wrong but there's a nice yeah. sentiment in that sentence. At oh exactly 38 minutes, I think, um, Nixon get a, gets a bullet to the head. That's- I know. Yeah. And, but it, like, it's not like, a, like a, a fatal blow, thankfully. It's a ricochet. But it does have this, 
the effect of the most uh, 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 delicate head hold I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, because you have that moment of like realizing that, yeah, it's that quick. That would have been it, and he would have been that dead had that not been a ricochet. Had he not, had he stood one inch further to the right, because that's the arbitrary nature of war. Laura has something to say. (laughs) No, I, I was, um, oh. I was I was excited about the word that you were going to use uh, to describe the head hold, but also Nix's re- like his reaction to the most delicate uh, coddling of someone's of his own face by like another person is such a great because re- it's the reaction that like kids have, um, or at least when I was a kid, like if I got hurt and I would be like, oh everything's fine, and then my mom would come over and be like, oh mm-hmm. my god, are you okay? And then I'd be like, Oh, am I not okay? Um, yeah. So, yeah. Like, he comes over and is like, Nix! And he picks him up and Nix is like, I'm fine. Am I not? Am I not fine? Yeah, he's, uh, yeah. he's very yeah. much like... Let go of me. Stop looking at me like I almost just died. Yeah, quit looking at me. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, that, that, I mean, I, I, that, that is definitely a... A feeling of sort of you could lose your uh, your number one, your second in command. Mm-hmm. Your in best that friend. moment, yeah, and your yeah. best, like your best friend. Yeah, best. Friend. That's again also like a recurring theme in this entire show that I just like so much. It's like these teeny tiny blink and you'll miss it moments of genuine care that these men have for each other where mm-hmm. it's like yeah they like these are people they're not just soldiers in a field they are friends they are in this together they're brothers they're oh my trying... god johnny martin yelling bull like yeah yeah uh, His, the that, the absolute like... uh absolute like distraughtness in his voice when at the end of this battle which you know we have to sort of circle back to something that happens but at the end of this battle when they're sitting on the truck like sort of leaving and bill asks where's bull and his brokenness when he says i don't know because bull goes missing yeah he's like, i don't know and like the last thing that we kind of see of bull is him Doing that thing you're never supposed to do when you're running away from something and you're running in the direction that the thing is moving, like he's trying to escape this tank and he's doing it by crawling in the same direction as the tank is going. Um, But then it kind of collapses down into the ditch and Johnny Martin sees this happen and he assumes that that's it. Because you don't survive getting a tank on top of you. And even if you do survive, there is nothing we can do to help you. Mm-mm. Um, but so this, this, uh, this, but this battle does really quickly before we move before we go to that is um, mm-hmm. it gets us our second uh, ass shot via Buck. Yeah, who, who, who make a tally, it. and Buck gets it good. One bullet, four holes. Like that is impressive. The bowling I ball. Like, I feel like I really wish we knew who that German soldier was because honestly he deserves a medal for that shot. Like you the marksmanship. Shot a, 
The marksmanship. Imagine him just sort of aiming for this guy and he's like, I'm going to shoot him wherever, like, I don't know where the fuck he was aiming and then shoot him and then shoot him through his ass. His ass cheeks. Like, his ass cheeks. Just the cakes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, imagine the margin of error. Like, you have to be so specific in order to get, like, through the outside. But through the crack and out the other side. But it's such a funny scene when he's like, leave me here for the Germans. And they're like, no. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. like So dramatic. But also, like, so true because you've got, like, what, 6'2"? Like, Buck is a very big, he is a big man. And he's, like, 6'2", like, 240. And you've got Malarkey and Skip and Dockrow and then I think uh Bill. comes in later right yeah, yeah you have these men who i like him being realistic that you you twinks cannot carry me out of battle like that is not happening <laughs> yeah he's like just leave me here for the germans and they're like no leave me here for the germans and they were like you're shot in the ass it's not that bad <laughs> Yeah, but then to be like, it's fine. Let me just go kick down a door. Like, you are doubting my strength in being able to carry you. So I'm going to just go over to that farmhouse and kick down a door and we'll carry you on that. He's like, I have something to prove. Yeah, like, we will drag you Beverly Hill, uh, true Beverly Hills style. No one has probably seen that movie, but there is indeed a scene where they drag someone much like on how a they door. drag someone. And sometimes I hope that Tom Hanks got that idea from Trooper Billy Hill. Well, I now need <laughs> to watch that movie. Um, Laura um, but But there's that scene, and then they're kind of trying to tally up who is there and who isn't. And yeah. of course, as Sar pointed out, the show has a tendency to make us care about characters and then make them hurt. So, of course, Bull is no longer there. But we also, I, I think we way. skipped over... We, we 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 sort of we lost Miller. Miller just got it to the head. Yeah, he died. <laughs> he did. Yeah, I mean, and like I was Hashi- thinking, we see him again later. We can talk about his death later. No, but like Hashi and Garcia's reaction mm-hmm. is so sad because that's like their first friend that gets it. Yeah, they mm-hmm. essentially formed a band of misfits, and one of their misfits died. Yeah. They tried to form a band of four misfits. Van Clinton got Babe shot. Babe is no longer a misfit. <laughs> Babe is a fit. Um, yeah. Babe ascended the social ranks. Yes. Although, also, to be fair, Babe isn't in their um, platoon. He was. Was he? Because I thought he was with Martin, whereas Bull... Like I, I and Martin, two different things. <laughs> um, so I, I, I have no. Idea. He was, yeah. but like we, I, we know that they were hanging out because in the end of episode three, they were hanging out. Yeah. yeah. No, I just mean like it, like in battle. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, yeah. Sorry. Think, like Bade is in a different. Like he's with Johnny Martin, or yeah, Johnny yeah. Martin. Like, like he, he would not have been there to see. Yeah. Miller die. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, uh, setting aside their social rankings, um, 
Yeah, we you do sort of have like this everyone coming back and trying to like scramble and figure out what they still have and who yeah. they still have. Um and Bull is nowhere to be found. Yeah, and, and what are they going to do? They have to get out of there. Yeah, they have to retreat. And um so we see Bull and he did make it. He 100% made it, thankfully. He's sitting in a sewer, and yeah. he has to sort of find his own way to safety. Mm-hmm. And he finds the safety in a, a barn that thankfully did not get blown up. It did not get hit by any sort of artillery. It just sort of stood, and he was planning on just hiding out for the night. Yeah, Um, and hopefully sneaking out in the morning when everyone was asleep or something. But some fucking soldier, not soldier, farmer, was like, (laughs) who's in my barn? And sends his daughter in. Which is also like, when your town gets blown to smithereens in like a very on-point battle, and you hear weird noises from your barn, are you really gonna go... Oh, I think that's an egg thief. Like, what did he expect to find in there? Yeah, really. Um, but, you know, there is a big language barrier between them, and Bull did get it in the shoulder. He got um, a bullet, like, just below the mm-hmm. bone, I think, is where it's sort of situated. And he sort of signals for the skies like hey can you can you dig this out please uh this is really harsh in my mellow this scene has always been so tense for me because to this day i cannot figure out if those farmers were truly on his side or not yeah like they obviously know where he stands because he's not german Right? He's not German, so he must be anti-German. Makes sense. I'm assuming that after five years of occupancy, they know a German when they see one. Um, But it's this moment where you're watching the scene, and still, I know how it ends, but I still expect them to just start shrieking for the soldiers to come in there and attack this random American who's just Mm -hmm. in their barn. Yeah. And I I think maybe the fact that, like, his daughter does enter as well sort of prevents him from doing anything rash. Yeah. Um, But we do get this, again, it's almost like I'm watching this show and I'm trying to collect the small moments of niceness that you see. Because there is, like, this weird tenderness going on in the scene between the three of them, like when the farmer decides to help him with his shoulder and like gets the bullet out and like Bill Bulk gives him a knife, which is some prime, like literal stab in the back moment. But he's just like, Mm -hmm. if you're going to help me, you're going to help me. If you're not going to help me, I'm dead anyway. So just for fuck's sake, do it properly. But he uh, he gets the bullet, and it's this. Um, uh, I I mean, you sort of just kind of gotta. Uh, this metaphor, you gotta bite the bullet, 
and just sort of live with the pain. Yeah, that's a good that's metaphor. Because, like, he's walking around now with a hole in his shoulder. It could very easily, depending on how long he's out there, become infected. Yeah, and you can't so, amputate a shoulder. Yeah. Um, but then a German soldier enters. Like an actual soldier, not a soldier masquerading as a farmer this time. Yeah. And he, he think, and this, he has like a suspicion. He's like, is someone in here? But then he like, he goes to leave and, you know, big old bull accidentally alerts them to his presence. And he's like, oh, is it him? I thought it was the daughter. Oh, someone makes a noise and, you know, bull has to go to work. So this, mm-hmm. like, actual moment of, like, hand-to-hand combat, that still is, like you said, very tense to me. Because mm-hmm. it... Yeah, go ahead. So, no, I'm so, I, I meant for, for you to continue your, your sentence. Um, yeah, um, but it's just very tense, because, like, I still feel like, even as I know how it ends, when he sort of sticks the bayonet in that guy's head... Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a move that you actually see them practice in episode one yeah which mm-hmm. is one of the things that I really like about this scene is that this is Bull using his training to do exactly what he was trained to do during basic and specialized training of this like hand-to-hand combat. Like it is the exact move that they had practiced so many times in England or Camp McCall or wherever they had been. Again, uh, this, the guy that was doing that training deserves an Emmy for the line, no, you want to kill him because Bull kills him. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and it also makes me think of that line in the last episode where they're kind of recapping all the soldiers. And what Dick has to say about Bull Randleman is that Bull was one of the best soldiers I ever had. And I think this scene kind of really shows that. Like, we get to see him as a soldier, not as an NCO, mm-hmm. not as a guy trying to, like, sort out this very stressful battle situation but as just a guy stuck in close quarters having to use every bit of his wit his training and his capability with his weapons to survive yeah Mm -hmm. and he he does he makes it out yeah and and, but there is this scene back it to wherever they had retreated to um where they are sitting in a field at night because i don't think anyone is probably able to sleep like you're probably so on edge still even though you really should um and they decide to go and look for bull maybe yeah which is also such a suicide mission like are you four or five dipshits gonna go into a german occupied town and try to like what get out a guy that you don't even know if he's alive like yeah i think it's bill who says like as long as there ain't a body he ain't dead and sure that's a nice way of looking at it but (sighs) but they they 
I think they all were like sort of processing it in their own way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It just strikes me as like, imagine the kind of impact that Bull must have made on these men in order for them to go, speaking of our training, we're going to disregard it all and go do this stupid thing just to try, just on the vague hope that Bull might be alive in a ditch somewhere. Yeah. We don't leave anyone behind. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it is sort of like... It, the time line, the time framing, I guess, of this uh, sort of sequence of events is a bit unclear because it does sort of become the next morning mm -hmm. all of a sudden. And yeah. Bull is, he feels safe enough to leave. Um, and he, you know, he buries that German body in the hay. Really terribly. You don't bury a body and let the feet stick out. Like, for fuck's sake. I know that it was a cinematographer. Unless he's like, you whatever, know, trying to, trying to send a message. Like what? Don't fuck with this barn? <laughs> yeah, he's this no barn is there. under... This barn is under Bull Randleman protection. What, is he Batman now? Yeah. What kind of weird ass, like, this town is mine? It's Bull's. It's where he had his big adventure. <laughs> Bull's big adventure. Um... um but he does, you know, you said you wanted to talk about this now. He does see Miller pointedly. Yeah. He walks out and he sees him dead. And obviously, like, Bull has missed that entire part of the combat. Like, he had no idea yeah. that that happens. He just sees this guy and he's this dead. This boy. This boy, one of his guys, one of his, you know, the, the men that he was trying to prepare for this scenario and I don't and I don't know if he there. feels like if he feels like maybe he couldn't have done anything to prevent it but if he feels like he failed Miller in a way yeah as by person, not being able to prepare him or protect him even as a person who knows nothing of soldier psychology I assume so like, I assume that where, wherever those feelings may stem from, that there is a sense of personal failure. Whether it is that I wasn't there for him, or I didn't prepare him enough, or I didn't prepare the other guys enough, like, whatever it is, I doubt that you would be able to kind of foster a man like that in that way and then see him dead in a ditch and not feel something yeah yeah but again like the good soldier he is he just kind of accepts that and moves on i do like how he um he takes his dog tags yeah i like that and because I, it's very and definitive yeah is it that he is you know i don't know he obviously had to probably turn him in so the body could be yeah recovered yeah or even just like a letter sent home yeah because it would have just been left there yeah and that's also like something there's um i think it's in the next episode where dick goes to paris mm -hmm. and 
I'm not going to go into too much of too much detail on that, but we get a very visceral reminder in that episode that you never take your dog tags off. Like for a soldier, I've heard this described many times by people who were like the weirdest thing after coming home from the war was that I was like suddenly expected to not wear my dog tags anymore. And that was difficult because the dog tags were the evidence that I was still alive. Yeah. Like the only reasons you would take them off is if you were dead. Yeah. And so he's, you know, he's, at least for a little bit, he has this last reminder of one of his boys. Yeah. Before he has to turn him in. And he's able to do that one thing for him. Yeah. And it's a very, um, it's his last act. If he couldn't save him, at least he could do this last little bit of service for him. Yeah. And it also says something again about the men who have seen combat and the men who haven't because Hashi and Garcia did not take the dog tags. And like, because Bull, like, sure, they were in combat, but Bull is not exactly in a cozy position here. Like, he can't just lounge around forever. Like, he's in a German-occupied town, and the Germans are going to start waking up soon, too. Um, But he still takes those five seconds to bring with him this, like, most visceral of reminders that a soldier has died. Whereas the other guys didn't, because they probably didn't think about that. Which makes sense. I mean, if, if, if you're not in that mindset where it's like, okay, you know, they were grieving a man, whereas he's kind of grieving a man, but also seeing the bigger picture in that, okay, we need to be practical about this. Yeah. Which is yeah. probably the most horrible thing that a war does to a person. Like, it makes you look at life as a matter of practicality. Yeah. You sort of have to suspend your humanity a little bit. Yeah. yeah, and kind of go okay this sucks but there are things that need to be done like there are formalities we need to get through there is a body that there is a letter that, that needs to be sent home possibly a body recovered we need to let his parents know and the only way that we can for sure like assure that he is dead is by showing up with these yeah um, but he is found by a you know, a Jeep that is maybe on a little bit of sort of intelligence through the town. Yeah, like reconnaissance or something. Assess assess the damage from the previous day, something. Mm -hmm. But he is able to make it back, and he sees this ragtag group that are out looking for him. Led by Hoobla. Yeah. And that scene... That shot, in that shot because because it's also in the intro where he just has his gun raised and his like eyes are full of like hope but like it's also terrified mm-hmm. and when the it's like one of my favorite scenes in this whole series when the jeep pulls up and bull just like tilts out the side of the jeep like just a little <laughs> just to be like just hey, like guys. look at what we have yeah. got here like, like and they're like and Hubler's like, where the fuck have you been? <laughs> like, the, like only like, only men that have been there for a while can get away with like saying that to each other. Yeah, 
Like Hashi wouldn't say that to him. Garcia yeah. wouldn't say that to him, but because it's Hubler, Mr. Uh, scoundrel extraordinaire <laughs> he yep. can just you yep. know um, and then Cobb comes in with the did you think we were gonna leave you behind yeah but he's yeah. like he like didn't even want to go the yeah. little shit yeah and then we have again we see the difference that Bull treats Cobb and that he treats Bill because Bill was also kind of like there's no point in going back there, but also don't leave him. Like he was kind of on the fence like that. And then you have Cobb who's just like, I'm not going back there. Um, and Cobb makes a joke about nobody missing Bull or, or like he makes that kind of remark and he, the response he gets is shut up. Whereas yeah. Bill makes a joke and the response he gets is way kinder and way friendlier. Well, also Johnny Martin's reaction. Like he's his just his excitement. Like all he can do is like yell for his friend. Yeah, the friendship between Bull and Martin is very. It's a, it's again one of those moments where it's like you have this connection between two friends who are way more than just soldiers in the same company. Um, yeah, because there is that understandment. Understandment. That's a new word. Understanding. <laughs> There is that understanding between them. Um, and it goes way back like into the bar where Martin is allowed to kind of talk shit at Bull's guys. And Bull mm-hmm. doesn't like correct him. But when Cobb comes in and does it, he gets Cobb. the fuck corrected out of him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because again, you know, to go back to kind of like that, note at the beginning where it's like the slice of life and you just get to see these guys be guys be young men hanging out and having a good time within any friend group you know what the dynamics of that friend group are you know when someone is joking and you know when someone is being serious um and so Cobb making a joke on bull's expense at this point would be it would be in very, very bad taste because Cobb genuinely did not want to go back to, for him. Mm-hmm. But he did. But he did go. Yeah, he did go, but he didn't want like, to. I think they maybe like forced him. They're like, get up. Yeah. Um, in all fairness, he, he like almost got exploded that day. I wouldn't want to go back to Noonan either. Like, he did. I mean, to be fair, again, the guy saying, let's not fucking do this, is the guy who is correct. Because this is a stupid idea that's gonna get us killed. Like, if we're being realistic here, that stunt would have absolutely gotten them killed. Um, or at least, at least one of them would not have made it back. It's my bet. If they actually would have gone into Noonan. Um, so this, the ending of this episode where, you know, we circle back to Dick and Nixon, Mm -hmm. Dixon, if you will. (laughs) Richard Nixon. No, every time I think about the two of them, my brain says Richard Nixon, though. (laughs) I I have someone that legitimately says that. Um, and she, but anyway, so. (laughs) So we're back with Richard Nixon. So we are back with Richard Nixon. <laughs> and they, and, you know, Dick is like, 
you know, I don't like retreating because Market Garden was a, a horrible failure. It was mm -hmm. the worst uh, operation the Airborne took part in. And um, it's also the start, unbeknownst to them, that they're going to be at combat for, like, the next, like, five months with, like, yeah. no break. It's really the start of the rough times for this company. And none of them know. Mm -hmm. And also, I don't know whether it's meant to be, but this is, like, the first time that Dick questions Nix's intelligence report not like his actual intelligence but like his yeah. intel because yeah. dick says yeah as long as it's just old men and kids like hey bro remember that time you told me that this was going to be a cakewalk and now we are retreating for like the first time ever mm -hmm. yeah um, and, and, and it's because of like your intel that you gave me Mm -hmm. And it is sort of like a, like a kick you when you're down moment because, you know, even Nix is like, we have to find a new way in. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this yeah, isn't like going to work. Yeah, like, they're not they stupid. Another, they what, know what? month? Mm hmm In Holland. Yeah. And, like, they all, they're not stupid. They know what this means. They know what kind of a failure this really was because it's not only that they failed to succeed but the time and resources that they spent both resources in terms of like the very clinical like oh the ammo and the food and the clothing that would have to be replaced but also like the resource as in human life that they spent failing to do this they could have spent that doing something else um, yeah, but it is you know and it, i i think the the only like not even silver lining, but like a sort of point that can be made is it's not a fully American failure because it was a British plan. <laughs> it's a British failure. It's yeah, a British and Brits, failure. And the Brits also paid for it more than anyone else. Yeah, they lost what, like 8,000 like 8, casualties or something ridiculous in Arnhem? Something like mm -hmm. that. And if I'm not entirely mistaken, this was also the last like big British operation of the war. Yeah. Like I think yeah. they pretty much burned them like they literally put everything they had into Market Garden. They 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 ally they they stopped all other advances to put everything into this one. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the biggest crash and burn. Yeah. At the worst possible time. Because it sort of allowed the Battle of the Bulge to even happen. Yeah. That is actually one of the things that I feel like we've touched on this before and we will probably touch on it in the future. But there are things that absolutely work very, very well. Like dramaturgically, when you're following the same constricted, like confined group of people um and when it comes to things like camaraderie and friendship and getting to know individual characters and stuff it's great to just follow the the one narrative but i always also felt like we kind of missed something there because i never understood how big market garden was 
mm-hmm. based off of this episode because it's kind of like you're watching them like yeah sure they didn't take one town are you telling me that 8,000 people died because of that and again I was a kid when I first watched this but yeah. I really wish that there would have been some more like just really diving into how massive this operation really was and like how high risk how high risk it was and how big it was and how much they put into it because i don't always feel like that kind of comes through um because if this is because if it's true that this was like (laughs) the operation that killed british involvement in world war ii because they had nothing left to give then that's pretty substantial yeah you know what i'm saying and i i mean there are like to be fair like other um sources that are going to cover that yeah absolutely and i'm not i'm not saying that band of brothers is a shit show because they do no yeah you didn't go into market garden more cringe uh i'm just saying would have been nice to kind of really get like the gravity of how big of a fuck up this was at the very least have like a discussion about like the other um the other divisions and what they were doing yeah or like at the how, very least, like even like show us hell's but is it hell's highway mhm like cuz it was a very large section of road that we were trying to like take and defend Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I agree. Please elaborate more on that. I don't know what that is. What, Hell's Highway? Yeah. So it was like a string of, I mean, I know very little about it, right? But basically, like, the Americans went into Eindhoven. Um, that's where, like, Easy Company dropped. And, like, the Brits went into Arnhem. And Arnhem it was, like, the was connection. Yeah, Arnhem was, like, the other side of this highway. And on the other side of Arnhem was basically like the Rhine and into Germany. Mm -hmm. Um, So we dropped along this road and the plan was to like take the whole road and supply Arnhem so that we could move into Germany. And the road was borderline impossible to keep. Like, yeah. time we got an inch the Germans took it back. Every time we took a town the Germans took it back and it was like constant. And we skip over there's like two or three towns in between Eindhoven and the island which is the next episode um crossroads so for time's sake they like skipped all of those smaller battles in between but like you really don't understand kind of the breadth of the fuck up that was market garden because like the whole thing in crossroads where they're like we've had penetration right meaning that like the germans literally kept coming across our line like they were just like crossing into um american slash british territory because we were spread so thin across this like entire highway and that's Um, like specifically and that's like not to like um like downplay like like the battles were smaller but like they were at the matching intensity yeah like because you're like you're throwing shit over just like because they are in like sort of dikes along the side of the road so they're just sort of like fighting blind essentially mm-hmm. kind of like a miniature trench warfare it sounds like yeah 
yeah. with like a big old hill in the middle yeah. of it. And also to kind of like, not to be that guy, but to say that a battle was smaller than the Battle of the Bulge doesn't really say a lot because I would guess that most battles are smaller than the Battle of the Bulge. No, I, I didn't mean Battle of the Bulge. I meant uh, like, like they were like smaller, like, like skirmish type individual. Oh, okay, okay. Like I, I, I just... Yeah, I just, they had about like yeah. a month of those between <laughs> the end of episode four and where we pick up in replacements. Okay. Ah. It was just like, it was just like days of like, like a couple days of like fighting in certain areas. Yeah, which they picked Eindhoven, obviously, because otherwise you would miss the drop, which it's easy company, their airborne infantry, obviously, we're going to pick up with them when they're jumping out of airplanes. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's the reason that you get the Eindhoven piece and then the part at the island, obviously, when Dick gets promoted, like, is also an important piece. And then they kind of left out a lot of, if you read the books, very kind of interesting, intricate, complex um, mm. fighting in between those two kind of bookends of our time in Holland. Yeah, and so, again, we have reached the point where I would just like to kindly but aggressively ask and demand that Tom Hanks release the extra footage. Yeah, like, what's, like, what do, what's, if they, if they even have island, not island footage, but, like, the rest of Mark and Garten footage. Yeah, Mark I don't, my guess would be they didn't, like, there's no filming of Mark, the rest of Mark yeah, and Garten. Yeah, I, I would assume so, but I want the extra footage. But I, still want I don't care what Yeah, it's extra footage, <laughs> yes, we still want that, um. I would, but, like, 62 more shots of Skinny Sisk's face in different uh, situations. Thank you. Because the oh shit that he does when Bull Randleman get, pulls back up in the Jeep is... <laughs> so that's a very uh, long-winded, long-winding way of explaining episode four. Because yeah. this, for such a, I think, I don't want to call it a forgettable episode, but for such a not at the top of a lot of people's list episode, it delves into a lot of heavier topics. Yeah. It at really the very does. least, at the very least brushes them. And like, oh sort God. Of, what? We forgot the bombing of Eindhoven. Yeah, they literally yeah. bombed Eindhoven. Yeah, yeah. like, um, you know, darker topics. The fact that all of those people that they were out on the street partying with days before are now being bombed and like not just a little bombed like a lot bombed yeah they're like being yeah they're, they're being destroyed yeah, yeah like eindhoven basically like burned to the ground that night that they retreated from noonan noinen newfoundland uh, and <laughs> from, it's just newfoundland right no, sorry, newfoundland yes newfoundland. and dick standing there staring at it and he turns to nick and nicks and he goes they're bombing eindhoven yeah. Thanks, yeah, like, Captain Obvious, yeah. for that. But, but, but just, what can you do? There's nothing No, I know, to do. but, like, they're bombing Eindhoven. And then, is it Nix who's like, I don't think they're going to be waving very many orange flags at us tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. All right. But, yeah, so they bomb Eindhoven. Yeah, and they're standing there like, there's nothing they can do. And they just turn, and they're like, well, I guess we'll just dig in for the night. 
like yeah. but, but there is like a the fireworks there is... and pretend like it's the fourth of July. Oof. Oof. Um, but there is a level of distress in Dick's voice. Mm-hmm. Like he wonder... he No, go ahead. No, yeah, I was just gonna say I wonder who he's thinking about more, if he's thinking about the women or the children. I mean, those two 12-year-olds who were giving him intel reports? Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. like, well, there goes our plug. Um, <laughs> I guess I'm stuck with fucking Nixon telling me bullshit shit about who we're but up this against. But this also, you know... He was like, you said there were going to be kids. You didn't mention the fact that they would be Hitler Jugend kids who have been training for this since they were literally five years old. This, uh, this, uh, this does, you know, before we wrap up, it, it does sort of point to a, a weird sort of start to some tension between Winners and Nixon. And some, like, almost borderline annoyance with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, Dick is obviously uh, less than pleased with the fact that Nix's intelligence wasn't the best, and Nix doesn't really want that pointed out to him. Yeah. But also, what's I mean, it that wasn't just fault? Yeah. I feel like Nix has a leg to stand on that. It, you make a very interesting point. Um, because obviously, again, um, I think at this point, Nixon wasn't even supposed to be with Easy Company. He just kind of hung around Dick all the time because they were pals, I guess. Um, so, but there's still like a possibility that because Nix was promoted to battalion so quickly, that maybe he just kind of doesn't see this the same way that Dick does. Because Dick yeah. absolutely looks at this like a soldier amongst other soldiers. He sees the human life lost. He doesn't see a strategical standpoint as much as he sees the people that are no longer there with him. And it is a, and it is definitely a clashing of heads, and you sort of you see it a little more in the next episode, even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's okay. Get his revenge. <laughs> yeah, but again, I also like that if we're talking on the topic of like friendship and like male friendship specifically, like the fact that they can have these very, very real and severe disagreements but still they never seem to doubt whether they're still friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, Dick can basically, ass- like, like, toss an accusation that Nix's intelligence ruined Market Garden, and they're still pals, because yeah. they know how to separate, like... The- Nixon and Winters, the, the two soldiers in battle together, and Dick and Lou, the friends. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that is literally where we leave the episode off at. Yeah. And I'm gonna, I am gonna cap it before we just keep going for like, however Another many. Of hours. Yeah. Um, so every thank you very much. Every yeah, time every we time sit we down talk. to film something, we're gonna be like, how are we gonna talk about this for an hour? And then it's like, cap to three hours later. I know, really. Um, I want to apologize to Sarah, who has to edit this. I, you know, 
this is my market garden. Um. (laughs) (laughs) This is the hill you die on. Yeah, I prefer this hill over the whatever I was talking about earlier. Um. <laughs> um, yeah, I, literally, this episode has taken so many twists, so many turns, and I want to thank Maria. Well, it was my pleasure. And thank you, Laura. Thank you. This has been lovely. And yeah. we will pick up um, after they leave out a bunch of shit in episode <laughs> five. Bye. Bye. <laughs>